All right. Welcome back to the Mutual Aid on Lockdown podcast, a podcast that's all about one single question. How do we do mutual aid during a pandemic? Um, I've spent the last 11, I think this is the 12th episode. All of these episodes have been focusing on that question of how do we do mutual aid during this pandemic? It's very unprecedented times. And um, so I'm, I'm seeking out people to talk to who have been engaged in this work and who have, you know, have been working on it, making mistakes, learning from them and sharing their mistakes with, with other people, sharing their, their, um, their experiences so that we can all learn and grow from them together. Um, I'm Ciro. I'm the host of, of this podcast. And if you want more information about the podcast, you can go to www.mutualaidlockdown.com. And if you know of a project that should be on this podcast, or if you want to um, talk about your project on this podcast, or if you just want to email us about anything, you could um, email mutualaidlockdown at gmail.com. So today I am joined by uh, by Wendelin Omania, who is a racial and social justice activist, former member of a former board member of the Colorado Immigrants Rights Coalition, who is currently leading programs for the healing of intergenerational trauma among immigrant communities. And uh, Wendelin is also a member of the Four Corners Mutual Aid Group, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so thanks so much, Wendelin. It's, it's really cool to um, be able to talk with you on the podcast. And so first of all, thanks so much for, for making time for this. Thank you, Ciro. Thank you for having me today. Definitely. So um, let's let's get into talking about Four Corners Mutual Aid, and I think that probably a good place to start would just be um, how how did Four Corners Mutual Aid come about? How was it started? Well, our mutual aid in this area actually started before the pandemic times by two members of a different group for food justice, mm-hmm. and then once they start receiving more. Um, supporting that group these members decide to step out to expand uh, mutual aid on their own for um, our communities trans and lgbtq plus two communities which sometimes are very left out by other um like even like other groups uh, that support uh, people at risk. So that's how it started before the pandemic times by two members of the that group that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was like mainly I will say their names because I think we are very grateful for what they have done for for this core group. Annie Setter and Lily Hamilton Cash were very active even before this started. Cool. So they they kind of. Um had a little bit of a foundation going already that you were able to build on once the, once the pandemic hit and there was all this extra need for mutual aid. That's correct. We are BIPOC led, even though I mentioned these names to people that initiated, we have been BIPOC led, like, like Brown, indigenous, um, people of color Mm -hmm. leading the mutual aid. And we have, we have say for the movement for black lives, we have, totally keep saying that this is going to be um, in support of the black community, of course, like due to the fact that we live in the four corners with the area is not as popular as other areas with black uh, populations of black people, but we definitely open and those at more risk, right? Like, as I mentioned, the trans lives, Mm -hmm. the queer lives, the LGBTQ community, of course, um, is, is part of our priorities. Great. And so, um, and so the, the four corners mutual aid group, it's, um, so you yourself are, are based in Durango, Colorado, but four corners mutual aid is not necessarily limited to just Durango, right? It's, um, it also encompasses some of the surrounding area. Is that right? Is that that is correct? We, even though I am in Durango, Colorado, we the we serve people who live outside of Durango, Colorado, and the reservation area, and also New Mexico. Some areas are very close to us, and they are further away from the main city, in New Mexico. So we have uh, also core members who travel to the reservation in Sheprock or. Um, uh, those areas close to either Cortez, 
Mencos, Durango, which is this area, the Southwest area. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I think that that's maybe um, that's different than than a lot of the mutual aid groups that I've talked to, because I, I, I think that generally most of the of the mutual aid groups I've talked to are kind of like um, urban or city based. And so it's, you know, like if there's a mutual aid group in Grand Rapids, it's it's very kind of clear where the center of your operating area is. But um, that's so cool that you're that yours is a little bit more broad based going, um, you know, encompassing different reservations. And um, and I think that before the before we started recording, you were telling me that there's that there's up to like 27 people involved in in the four corners mutual aid. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. Yes. Like the reason because we serve those areas is because uh, Durango, Colorado is very close to New Mexico. And uh, so so as Cortez, we are both very close to New Mexico. Mencos is between Cortez and Durango. But our corners are directed, directly connected to to the four corners area, which is also includes parts of Arizona, which is very, very, very much the corner, but we also serve that um, not too, not as much as we, we did with uh, New Mexico, but we served like a um, couple of people that were in extreme need and they were more closer to us in Arizona. Uh, like Aztec, New Mexico is closer to Durango. It's, it's only 40 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So... But it's farther, it's like two hours from Albuquerque, which is the main city of um, New Mexico. So it makes sense for us to to be or to hear from them. Great, great, got you. Cool. So um, could you tell us some of the numbers of, of the support that you're raising and how that's looking for you all over there? Of course. So since the beginning of COVID and once we start with the mutual aid, we have had as of to last week, we had uh, 40,692 supports from individuals. And we have a total given from central fund of $35,816. And yeah, so there is a, a 127 families that we have helped through Central Fund. So, but it's still like, as you can see, we have like so little after that, or we, we really mm-hmm. don't have that much after that. So even though we are not in zeros, we really need support. Uh, there was an estimate of need that we, um, Yeah, so, so we need close to 40,000. Okay. And then it was 37, the amount that we, we were we were needing. Mm. That, um, that you're still needing. Yes. Gotcha. Because because when you're when you're doing it, you um, you you probably have like a backlist of of people waiting, who are who are requesting report support, but there's there's not enough money in, in the bank account for it yet, right? Yeah, yeah. When I say, well, but we don't have uh, we're in zeros yet, but we still like, uh, it's like we have some finances in the, I, as of today, we I don't have this exact number because we also have the disbursements mm-hmm. uh, last week. Mm-hmm. And so um, I don't have the most updated number of how much we have, but definitely we still like meeting close to three seven, just based on the list that we have of all that sign. Mm. And and then they keep calling us and saying, we already applied for this um, organization and this all, but COVID has been for a while. So they are still behind, as I mentioned. Yeah. Wow. And so, so when people contact you, you've, you've, you've all been distributing a lot of funds, a lot of money. And that's awesome that to, to see that, that, uh, that a, a group of people like you can come together and, and be in a really efficient distribution method for that large amount of money. That's a, a really, a really huge deal. And I love to see that happening. Um, so how do you, when you're, when you're distributing the money, how, how do you do it? Do you do like direct cash payments to people or are you using that money to buy groceries or are you, how is that, how is that looking? 
Well, basically, some of most of the time they they really like need the cash on hand. Mm-hmm. We we give checks when that's the need, um, just to keep a uh, just a record of it, like how much mm-hmm. is get exchanged and get like. Um, and the other one is sometimes they request it through Venmo or PayPal, but uh, that's kind of rare when they request that. They usually check and cash, like that's our cash on hand, a check gotcha. so they can just, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. And sometimes we have donations from organizations uh, around foods and of course cars and we distribute those but so far we we haven't get like too much involvement in the, the cars we have like just referred to when we have that or uh word out of the organization that is giving cards or mm-hmm. uh like uh like there is some that was in the beginning of covid that some people wanted to donate but they didn't they didn't want to go um without a non a non profit so they needed a non profit so we refer them to a non profit and then therefore we refer the clients directly to them so they could have the their cards from this non profit. Awesome. Great. Yeah, I love to hear I love to hear how how much the how much the amount is that, that you all have been doing and that there's a lot of other mutual aid groups who who've been working with um with direct cash payments and it's they've been able to do really amazing things like you all have. That's really cool. Yeah. Yes. We have had, a, we have had a lot of support. That's for sure. And we still need a lot of support. That's mm-hmm. for sure. So yeah. uh, we have also this consideration about like, it's time to stop this, it's, but it's like, well, let's just think about how much is, is in need and be realistic about the stories and the stories are very um valid of course it's like mm-hmm. you know but i didn't have money for three months so therefore i just get back but still behind in in catching up with things so um hopefully this gets a balance in the coming months and and our mutual aid becomes more like a a steady thing but not like as an emergency and we really like are still in this emergency mode mm-hmm. yeah so we wanted to just transition into like steady and and when you already don't qualify for all of those and let's go with our mutual aid but having having this emergency mode is definitely something that we don't want to have forever right mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense yeah. And so it's something that you could see. It, it, it sounds like it's something that could, even after, um, after the the emergency of the pandemic, after the pandemic is kind of, hopefully someday old news. It sounds like this type of um, infrastructure that you're creating is something that could live on and just indefinitely provide mutual aid, just in normal quote unquote normal circumstances too. Correct. Great. That's awesome. Love to hear that. Mm-hmm. You were asking in the beginning what was the main need, and the food was the main need. So we, food and water, and the connection between also reservations to those to access to food and water. And then we heard about other needs like computers for kids to attend uh, classes, um, and bikes, for instance. We provide bikes too. And then, and then as the times evolve, of course, the needs like was the cash, right? Like, how mm-hmm. can I, how can I actually have cash in hand so I pay my rent, or how can not only just pay my rent, but how can I uh, recover my dignity by having a couple of boxes in my like box in my in my hand? Mm-hmm. Like, um, as a human, you know that for some reason. And it's a valid reason just to don't be dependent on somebody else and just thinking like, I don't know when this person is going to remember again that I am because has probably a long list, mm-hmm. but always providing cash on hand without like, like creating too much doubt of it. Mm-hmm. It is also creates the dignity of it. Like, like uh, instead of like fill up all these papers and then maybe or maybe not uh, will mm-hmm. receive the benefit of uh, being paid for your rent or having no other program uh, provides cash on hand just because um, as you know 
uh, so well, non-profits have limitations to handing cash uh, to people. But um, we provide those. We have been very mindful about listening the needs rather than to impose the needs. We, I work for nonprofits for pretty much my entire life until I, uh, like, let's see, three years ago when I stopped, uh, like, like stepping out of the nonprofit system. So understanding how it works. Sometimes I felt like we we don't do it in a in a really bad intention, but we sometimes we impose the need. Like I apply for this guy and now I'm going to create that need for yourself. Mm-hmm. And it was like oh like some of us also had the same experience in a mutual aid network and we say like how about just listening to them first? Because we never felt like it was right for us to impose the need. Mm-hmm. And listening to them was very, very good. Like some of them were like I need diapers. I just need diapers for mm-hmm. my baby, baby yeah. food. And then, and then I was like, okay, perfect. And then some others that I thought like they will need the baby food and the diapers, they were actually needing uh, an appointment for um, uh, certain stress uh, or uh, or a massage. You know, mm-hmm. like sometimes yeah. we we assume instead of listening. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so. Um, so I think that very related to this is, um, is your background working, um, so doing so much work over the years with immigrants, immigrant communities. And as I mentioned at the, at the top of the, of the podcast, you, um, have worked with the Colorado Immigrants Rights Coalition and you're currently doing, um, tr- uh, workshops for the healing of intergenerational trauma among immigrant communities. And, um, and so with, you know, with so much experience, will you speak to a little bit of the, um, of the specific, uh, pro- problems that, that are facing immigrant communities that, that people might not be aware of if they're, if they're not from an immigrant community? One of the things that I want the, your audience here to actually understand is that, um, immigrants in this in this country are not necessarily people who are um taking away from from their resources and like there is like there is this like huge controversy that i'm not going to deep in it's not the time for me to speak about but also um those people these people have had challenges to be recognized in the country for for generations and these people actually have had their rights set up and their movement and their own their own fight but during this pandemic time it was so obvious for others to see that immigrants do not have access to health access to um uh, food stamps access to any federal program like this stimulus check because they are not seen they are like they are invisible or like goes to the government mm-hmm. even though they have their own fight in different levels and then they also like uh, try to speak for different generations and needs so when the pandemic start actually was uh, I was no part of the network yet uh and i was because the network was not really like created yet mm-hmm. um but uh like a friend of mine and myself um a, a boost or a spoke for a fundraiser so my friend has been working with me with uh immigrant rights uh, events and protests and call outs and things like that and then he called me and he said like when are you, how is like the people right now and then I said well there is a struggle and it's going to be so he proposed to start a concert on Facebook to 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 fundraise for them for these people or some of the people that he was familiar with and we did it at the moment we raised five thousand in one one day or one weekend, um, and we did it for paying rent, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So uh, as this, uh, because this was passing too fast, like the next week we did another one with a different person, 
And then the third week, I was already part of the network, so it was it makes sense for me to don't do it on my own instead of doing it like as a network or a collective. Um, but I, I was explaining to the explaining to them. Yes, grants are going to arise because we are so many immigrants in this country. So, of course, grants are going to appear, but not yet. And in the meanwhile, while we are waiting for them, we we need to let people know that some communities at risk are um, left out. And usually those are the community, the most vulnerable communities, which is um, the trans communities, the black communities, the immigrant communities, the indigenous indigenous communities, mm-hmm. the um, that are ignored by benefits in so many ways. So it was like a like a huge education of something that has been passing for so long. Not. Um, this is no new to us like we are always left out but but it was like new for many others right and finally they had to sit and and listen and say wow you you actually don't have access to this and this and this it's mm-hmm. like yeah we we are not <laughs> we don't so yeah yeah and- and so you um so you mentioned um grants and how you you said that grants would come but they weren't coming yet and so you had to do a lot of you know really grassroots fundraising and whatnot um since then have you been able to get your hands on some grants we were able to get to uh a small couple of uh, like i believe just one okay was for sure mm-hmm. and um since we are not a non-profit, again, we are a network. Mm. We are like many other mutual aid ne- networks. We need to find a fiscal sponsor. So the grants go to the non-profits. And, and again, sometimes the, the, that's not sometimes. Most of the time, this is super beneficial for the, for the people who receive uh, or is benefit out of this. But in these cases, they still restricted. So we were able to have like uh, like one for sure for oh, sure okay. for sure a small one mm-hmm. um you know uh it's so weird to say this especially because i just was talking to someone uh, not that long ago after being or since since we are vulnerable communities we are people who with trauma for not just one generation. I myself came by myself to this country. And now I'm a citizen of the United States, but um, let's see, uh, the work was different with me. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, 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 it's a long story, but um, uh, I see other people in their struggle and, and is the third generation that is already in that struggle. So somehow there is so much, so much lack of trust, mm-hmm. and because they have been uh, malused for other people to continue enlarging their econ- economy mm-hmm. or enlarging their financial benefits, mm-hmm. and um, and I see that in a lot of BIPOC communities, like Black, Brown, Indigenous, immigrants, people of color. And also trans people um, and and LGBTQ. I just see it that this is like ah, how weird is for us to say. Actually, we start just like not trusting so easily. But how can how can we as part of the network boost that? How can we heal that from us? How can we say like, you know, I know, I know we have been betrayed before, but but we can trust again. Mm. We can trust again just for. Like, look, I'm not going to ask you for anything. Here is the cash. Yeah. You are, you are just. I know. I believe in you. That's it. You know. Yeah. Definitely. That's kind of also a, a healing way to just yeah. recognize trust. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah, and I'm sure that that's something that a lot of us doing, um, doing mutual aid work are are running into, is is um, the, this the fact that we're doing mutual aid is is itself something out of the ordinary it's it's not the way that you know it's not the way that the normal capitalist society works um and so yeah it makes sense that that people 
who come from a line of of um, traumatized people might have trouble um, trusting in in that you know something being freely given out of mutual aid and instead of given out of a, a need for profit or something um, yeah 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 so let's and I I'm really fascinated with your with your background in um, intergenerational trauma healing and, and speaking about that and so um, so can we talk a little bit about your about the kind of workshops that you do around um, intergenerational trauma and and the healing of that and how um, and how kind of like focus like helping each other with those intergenerational traumas um, is is itself a, a form of mutual aid of course of course and i will say this uh from a vulnerable space today zero because i just had an experience but uh and uh so forgive me if i if i start in circles but um oh, that's all right but I, but I will be linear <laughs> so and yeah. <laughs> um, yeah when i started these groups i i was called by one of the one of my friends she found this grant and then she said, uh, this group is doing this and they are empowering brown women and they want they want you to step. I think it would be great if like, if you just step on your own because you haven't depending on, on organizations for a while, but you have these uh, ideas. Tra -la, tra -la. And I was like thinking for a while and I felt like the wording that he was telling me at the moment, it was like overwhelming. It was like, why, why, why are you telling me this? Like, it's overwhelming. And then I thought about it for for months. And then I I, I realized that I was like actually in, in so much uh, closure for my heart, for, my, for myself. And then not believing in other people's encouragement, authenticity of their encouragement or um, um, compliments. Mm -hmm. So... That was one of the parts that I took in my notes. And then the second was jumping in and writing the graph for myself with my uh, with my um, own resource and, and for myself. Mm -hmm. and, and then I I say uh, during this this time I wrote on the side uh, during this time in the United States, what happened, the things that actually hurt me the most emotionally speaking. Mm -hmm. And one of them is I. Uh, well, the lack of language. When I came to the United States, I didn't speak English. So it was like the lack of access, the access to language, the access of communication, and also the maltreatment or the uh, the um, the yeah the 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 oppression towards a person who doesn't speak the language mm -hmm. is is so significant. And and then I was read, writing and writing and writing all these things. And uh, me being a um certified yoga teacher uh like 800 hour yo uh, sorry 500 hour like i found the other 300 because i've been just studying like non-stop and then, <laughs> but, but i don't think they have that but um uh the yoga alliance have the 500 some like 500 and then I heard my own uh, process and my own um, healing through through the yoga and and in this concept, I also remember for the first time so many gifts that I already had being an indigenous woman from Mexico. And then I say like, wait a minute, the yoga speaks for these that actually like the Mesoamerican medicine speaks for. And then I did this more notes and more notes and more notes. Mm -hmm. And then finally I say like, what the yoga is so similar to the mesoamerican medicine so i create a workshop and i call it the yoga in correlation with the mesoamerican medicine and after that workshop was created uh, and not presented was created but not presented i pull everything out of it and then i say this can cure mm -hmm. this can cure generations and uh so I'm also applying it for myself as I'm, 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 I'm talking to you. I hope it makes sense that that has been a personal experience. And, and when I finally put everything together, I apply for this grant explaining that we as immigrants in, or as people in other country, um, we miss the motherland 
which is the apapacho, which is a Mayan, uh, an Nahuatl word for for like a lot of love or uh, love to the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we miss that. And then we miss our, 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 ourselves, like our own connection with the food, our own connection with our traditions, our own connection with the advices, the the traditional um, uh, songs and rites and passages, mm-hmm. things like that. So therefore, we force ourselves to actually do what we commit to do when we come to this language, which is work, 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 work nonstop, and obey, obey, obey nonstop, and surrender, surrender, surrender nonstop, and then just go home and cope with your, with your own things and maybe drink, maybe yield maybe fight maybe maybe do all those copings that society accepts mm-hmm. or maybe over exercise things like that um or overeat mm-hmm. and and then it's like then you have children or we have children and then then we continue with that and that disconnection and we continue with that uh that, like new lifestyle with no really like landing our bodies or solidifying in our souls mm-hmm. so the workshop uh, itself speaks a lot for the interconnectedness of uh, methods of healing and what I do is I I speak for our medicine I speak for the Mesoamerican medicine I speak for our own uh, deities and I speak for our own paths um, and I also speak for the food and I cook for them I'm a, I'm a cook myself who explores the indigenous. Uh, I'm, I'm very fascinated about like getting to know more what is indigenous and what is not, what what is actually um, what we had in ancestors' age. So we are more connected to our to our souls, and and then we practice as uh, we I call it retreats too because we practice their children are there and I I have friends now who are part of our team and some of them are ceramists and artists and they practice the ceramics with the children or they paint with the children and then uh, and then once I think is the appropriate time depending on the group then we teach them um, uh, a know your right training uh, for immigrants mm. or a legal observer uh, training if they are citizens. Let's see, maybe you are 15 and you are a citizen of the United States because you you're already born here and you're it doesn't matter if your mom is not. But mm-hmm. so the children also become the advocates and they feel more empowered for their uh, for their parents and they don't believe in those lies that if you don't do this your parents are going to be deported you know yeah Uh, it's it's a method of empowering lately uh, we finished uh, a group and one of our members uh, uh, is pregnant so during that pregnancy was beautiful to to see the support and how it evolved Mm -hmm. and how it bound together one of the women um of that group she becomes so empowered so later on she was the one who was actually distributing food herself to her neighbors mm-hmm. uh, so it's like it's that type of work where i feel that later on they actually are like me in the end so because if I, yeah yeah if i if i am a distributor of food why not you you just need the tools that i had and mm-hmm. i am happy to give them to you you know yes Mm-hmm. That's oh, I love I love hearing about that. That thank yeah. you, yeah. Thanks so much for 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 sharing that. That's that's really deep stuff. That's that's very important. I'll, the whole explanation that you that you gave of intergenerational trauma was very beautiful. And it, yeah, it meant a lot to hear that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that you're doing that work, and I hope that I'm sure that a lot of people hearing this will be inspired to to do similar work where they're at. Um, yeah, it's and it's yeah, it just it just seems so pertinent and so so important right now, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Yeah, and I was 
Go oh, ahead. sorry. No, go ahead. I was I was so surprised when I found this like the Mesoamerican medicine in connection with the yoga and ways of healing. I was googling just to see if somebody already did it before. It's like if if, if this is something in my mind, I'm pretty sure somebody else had it too. Mm-hmm. And then it was really hard to find. There was nothing. There was nothing. And then I asked a friend who is also Mayan. And then she sent me the name of a person who actually like yes he 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 like he's already like he passed passed away like I think that that's a while ago, but he actually found the same res- uh, research. He he thought that these worlds, these two worlds, at some point, once upon a time, they were together, which is fascinating. So oh, wow. just to add a little bit of <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah I, I just love hearing about any any time that 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 people are are making those connections and then and I, and I'm it's I've heard a lot of stories like yours where it's like you you're wondering if you're the only one who's like making this connection. Then you then you seek out and you find all oh, the people have made these connections, too. And that's always a really exciting feeling. Huh? Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and another thing that I think is is. Um, really related and really um uh really pertinent right now is you you mentioned before the call that you're also involved with the movement for black lives um and so i wanted to um i wanted to just ask about uh cuz this is the first the first podcast that i've hosted since um since the end of may when there was all these uprisings starting and so we're in a politically a different kind of world now than we even were at the beginning of may and so um and so i just wanted to ask if you could kind of um talk about the the overlap between covid 19 mutual aid and the um and these uprisings in the movement for black lives and just what how those things interrelate with one another Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, I don't know if this is legitimate. I don't know if this is a good source, but I read in the internet, and I always say, like, when I read it to the internet, I, I doubt twice, <laughs> but I want to just put it out there. Yeah. I read in the inter- internet, and uh, the, the first mutual aid, like, call itself and being, um, uh, uh, like, the official name for it, it started with trans black. Uh, um people oh really black lives yeah and i was like at the time i was like oh this makes sense because we actually like we are like like we are like and i and i always say we 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 like (laughs) me and myself and all this like (laughs) but um when i say we actually i i direct to the the whole like the the world Mm -hmm. the people and and I don't want to include in myself in this one, but I, I will say it because I probably did it unconsciously. We forgot about them. We don't really think too much about them. And then I say, oh, of course, it makes sense. It's just like what, what I didn't think about that in this way. Then I learned also about the movement uh, that the Black Panthers did, which is also pretty much mutual aid networks. And, mm-hmm. and then there's, there's a stepping out of like everything, any, any type of help that look like charity that uh, again i don't want to say these are all of them but my personal experience has been like so critical in just understanding how some non-profits world work and some of them can fall into this concept of charity or or the cycle of making a person continue poor or continue depend of, like depending on them right so when when the black panthers say like let's get out of here let's go just do our own thing i also know that this this is a movement that has been named and like officially by 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 black people although let's remember that this concept of mutual aid has been forever right since yes. the beginning of time like indigenous of this land mm-hmm. indigenous of the united states Oof, they had to because they were so isolated. They were left out. They continue being left out from so many things. So being a, being a member of the Black Lives Movement for Black Lives in this area has taught me a lot and something that I was already doing my own research and education and, and knowing and combining it with 
saying like, guess what? I don't want to be mean. And I say it that as a public speaker, I say it that once and say, I think twice. <laughs> and I say, I don't want to be mean. I know most of you know Colorado, sorry, Durango has a lot of nonprofits. Mm -hmm. Like actually one of those who have like more nonprofits per capita. And then um, many of you work for a nonprofit, but guess what? Nonprofits don't really think about us, don't really apply for us, don't really like, they include us in the numbers so they are diverse. But when they give us, they give us charity. Mm. And, and we are exhausted of that. We're really exhausted. I was one of those workers who was like, yeah, how are you going to make this, this client uh, sustainable? But how, how, how can you make them like actually like strong when you actually you give them a grocery bag per month? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. but you don't really teach them how to work. It's, it's, it's that famous saying about like giving fish instead of teaching you how to fish. Yeah. Um, and maybe making them depending on you by, yeah, come and I do everything for you. No worries, no worries. Instead of saying like, you know, you can do it. You can mm -hmm. do it. And next time you are going to do it. It's like it's like a cycle of like because if I do, if you don't come back to me again and then I, maybe they don't give me more money. So I, it's like a vicious cycle that my friends and I say it's gross. And yeah. sorry for the word, but it's, it is. Yeah, and <laughs> so, it, it makes sense. It it seems like it's even related to the to the kind of like intergenerational trauma that you were talking about before, where where a lot of people are are taught that they have to just obey and obey and that's they have to work and obey and that's what their ha whole life has to revolve around and then they'll it seems like maybe these nonprofits are also continuing that cycle where they're just having people obey and go through these motions and become dependent upon the nonprofit. yeah and it's so so sad to say it and when i say it in public i was like shaking literally because i didn't oh. know how many people would judge me but i was oh. like I have to yeah. say it. I have to yes. say how this is a vicious cycle. Yes. Uh, you know, I cannot tell you I'm going to be your interpreter forever. I have to tell you how to do it yourself. And I have to advocate mm -hmm. for you, right? So they also do it in Spanish mm -hmm. or in Chinese or in Japanese or or uh, Nepalese. All those languages that actually, uh, or Portuguese that actually like maybe are in my, my hometown, but but they are like shut down because because I want you to depend on me, you know, mm, something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. And then, um, so when I was in the in this public speaking, I say I want you and sorry for telling you what to do, but please before you consider to donate to your nonprofit, think twice, maybe three times, mm -hmm. and then go for them for go for the mutual aid network because. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, we are not getting paid for that. Yeah. So you, you know, you know, this is not a, this is not a, a money cycle, right? Yeah, yeah. Neither of us. We are prohibited for having like anything. I cannot even have like a gift card from somebody and say like, thank you for doing your work. I'm going to give you a gift card for mm -hmm. doing these deliveries. It's like, it's kind of awkward. So I probably will say, and I know all of them. That's why we are no hundreds. I know all of them. And I will speak only for the core, which is the one that I'm more connected to, the nine ones that we are the core. I know and I can put my hands on fire. They will never accept something in exchange. Yeah. And they were like, uh, so it's like, first, first of all, you know, we are not getting paid. So it's not in our hands to make people depending on us. And second, you know that uh, we are, not uh, limited to to restrict our funds to to once or why are you asking again? It's like we're going to do advocacy because we are advocates. We mm. all been working already in the uh, social workers as advocates as activists. So we know the advocacy already. We have trainings. All of us have mm. had so many trainings like which is like something that we don't mention because it's like a waste of time but we have had a lot of a lot of trainings ourselves that's why we know each other we have like we know each other in different trainings we know each other in the different levels so i ask that in public i say yeah ask and question 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 yourself twice 
And if by the third time you say like, I feel comfortable giving it to the nonprofit because I need a paper in exchange to declare to my taxes, well, that's your just that's your thing. I'm not going to judge you, mm-hmm. but um, but I think if we can continue, how can we actually make those voices be heard? This by stopping this cycle. So donate to your mutual aid network because mm-hmm. because there are people who, yeah. who know people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and at the at the um, when we were talking before, you mentioned um, just how it's been harder to get um, to get attention to your work lately because people have such short attention spans. And I think um, I I just want to like put some space here for you to be able to talk to that about uh, you know it's the middle of summer. How how are you going about you know raising funds and and getting attention on the work that's still still happening, you know, because we're still in a, in a pandemic. There's still this need for mutual aid and, you know, and that, that hasn't gone away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, how can we go to our networks? Well, uh, I told you before uh, the recording that whew, we humans have so, such a short span of attention we just remember limited things like we are like oh now is the movement now is not the movement and i live in a very very beautiful privileged place like um if you ever visit here you will see as soon as you see these mountains as soon as you see the river as soon as you see the weather you will forget about many things <laughs> and, then, and then um so that's challenging people heard about the need for those communities at risk, those point communities that we usually forget or are um, you can know you can know you have to be blind emotionally to don't be aware that people in the reservation that actually don't cannot get out of the reservation is like oh, how are they gonna get water, how are they gonna get food, how are they gonna get all those things mm-hmm. that actually you cannot grow in their reservation. So people I would like to repeat this. People need to know that this pandemic distribution, uh, financial distribution, empower those who are already in power or have empowered them. How so? If I had a job and I never lose my job, but receive a stimulus check, I have extra. Mm-hmm. And I and I didn't have like probably if I had a job that was not really missed during the pandemics because probably I had insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you lost your job and you was forced to stop working for three months, two months, even one month, you are going to behind in your life for that time, especially if you have children. Mm-hmm. And then um, that's it, it matters a lot. Uh, that help appear for paying the rent, help appear for paying the electricity and the gas and food came on your way. But um, let's be honest, people have other needs. It's like if I have um, if I have those needs covered, then I'm pretty sure I'm going to say like I don't want to tell you about my needs, but actually I have needs. That's why I go to work. I have these other needs related to my personal hygiene. I have these like needs related to my sanity and spe- specifically to um, to people who like, I'm just going to, I gave this example in the past. Like uh, when we go to the grocery store, we don't just buy uh, vegetables and food, vegetables, fruit and food. We also buy other things, other needs. Like we can go put a race or a, uh, tampons are like eye drops, mm-hmm. toilet paper, like just think about all those tiny things that we buy. And for two weeks, we can say that's fine for a month. Maybe we can say like, ah, oh, that's kind of a little bit awkward. I feel a little bit emotionally um, uh, like, I don't know, somehow worthless. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um after three months, you're probably going to feel a little bit of anxiety or maybe anxiety or depression. I don't want to assume that. And I'm not a therapist that way. I'm a massage therapist, but I'm not a therapist. <laughs> uh, um, and and it's evident that you, you lost the dignity, mm. that the lack of finances. So those who were like at the risk of vulnerable communities, 
actually were like even more at risk, at mm-hmm. risk or more pressed emotionally, physically, and mentally, and uh, in many ways, financially, primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are behind still. Like, yeah. uh, uh, like if they didn't have a job for three months, and then and now they have a job, they're still behind still. Yeah. Like, they yeah. need to catch up, catch up, catch up. And we need to remember that. So even though people think that people went back to work, well, just remember this long example that I just gave. Yeah. <laughs> We're still needing funds for these people, for so many other people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you so much for... Uh, for coming on and, and and talking and you know just giving all you know all of your beautiful insight into all of these all of these topics and um, and especially now during this during this point in the in the pandemic where sometimes people might not um, might not feel this urgent pressing to to be interested or to be donating to mutual aid like they were at the beginning but it's still just as important and so I am just so so happy and so glad that you're out there still uh with all this strength and all this all this force um making these things happen and and just keeping it in the forefront of people's minds that that this work still has to be happening and um so yeah thanks so much for all the effort that you've put into that thank you thank you thank you thank you sir i really appreciate you a lot for having this opportunity for all of us across the country to speak about the need for supporting our mutual aid definitely thank you so much yeah um and before we go i also wanted to um to plug a a project that a friend of ours is working on um called native lens and that's um our friend debbie who actually connected um, who connected Wendelin and myself, and so I really wanted to plug this this really cool project that um, that is happening through Rocky Mountain PBS um, called Native Lens, which is a a way to share um, stories of Indigenous perspectives during this time. And so, if you go to um, rmpbs.org/slash/native-lens, you can um, learn more about that. That's rmpbs.org slash native lens. And, um, and I'll just kind of like read a little bit about what it is. Um, native lens invites native and indigenous storytellers to share their stories. Rocky Mountain PBS and KSUT tribal radio probably proudly announced an invitation to native and indigenous storytellers of any age to share their own mini documentaries with our collective audience. In this initiative called Native Lens, you are the director and make the choice on where to focus your lens. The goal is that by distributing firsthand Native perspectives through the media, the visibility of tribal communities will increase as Native voices are amplified. So, um, so yeah, go check that out. Go see some of the stories and, um, yeah, go submit your own stories, your own mini documentaries um, at rmpbs.org slash Native Lens. Um, yeah, and so, again, thanks, uh, thanks so much, Wendelin. It's great to talk with you and um, thanks so much for uh, to everybody who's listening and again, get in contact with us at www.mutualaidlockdown.com or mutualaidlockdown at gmail.com and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Thanks.